And so I try sometimes when I'm lying in bed to see if I can move or turn my head to see if I am still disabled. And so I wake in the morning and I cannot move and they flick on the lights while you're in my room and I scream from the top of my lungs, blame SMA. And I said, you don't know this song? I know this song, but like... But the perfect rendition I'm doing of it isn't jogging your memory well enough. I, I mean, you're singing very nicely. I'm enjoying <laughs> the, the showmanship of it. Keep Thank going. Thank you, yeah. Keep going. Was it no, I mean, that's, that's all I can... Because then it just, she just starts screaming. She's like, uh, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Why? I say, why? Why, SMA? That's pretty good. You could also do uh, like village people. Why, SMA? <laughs> you got me not moving. Why, SMA? <laughs> What's a good CP song? What's a good CP song? Oh, I don't know. You could do like, remember the name, remember that song? You got 10% spasms, 50% <laughs> Oh, you mean that what the one from the Lincoln Park alumni, that guy? Uh, is it? I don't know. Yeah, 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 I think so. 5% spasms, 15% pain, and 100% damage that affected my brain. Yeah, I don't know. I never trained. Like, I, I did go through a Linkin Park emo phase between 2001 and 2004, to be perfectly honest. I feel like I've just lost cred with our producer and probably a number of our listeners. There's some Linkin Park songs that I'll still jam out to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not scared to admit that. Crawling on the floor. <laughs> Can you please give me a ramp? <laughs> Why are these all stairs? Chester would have been an empathetic wheelie, probably. I actually saw a clip recently. It's kind of weird that this came up because probably like a day or two ago of Chester Bennington jumping over the railing at one of his concerts to sing with a girl in a wheelchair. Really? Yeah. Uh, he does sound like a compassionate guy. Yeah. And she was like singing along with them. They were singing In the End, which oh, is yeah. such a banger. It is a banger of a song. Yeah. It's too bad that the, like, the, like, the angst within those lyrics are very uh, pre-teeny. It's also pretty sad given how it all ended for him. I suppose so, yeah. But I think that's why his music is so good. It's just run really yeah he's able to like there's a penalty for that continuous access to his own melodrama you know what i mean it's like that's like i shouldn't say that i mean but i know what you're saying a penalty yeah no i do know what you're saying anyway let's leave it how are you i'm okay i'm actually feeling pretty good lately nice i had a nice hot shower before the podcast and I accidentally flooded the bathroom again. And this was despite taking all the precautions to prevent water from like pouring out of the the bathtub. So it's basically like a standard tub. But then I have a shower chair. What color is it? <laughs> uh, it's like an off uh, an off white beige. Like eggshell. Yeah, you want the RGB values? Yeah, if you can give it to me in text and then see how much. Sure, sure. So anyway, 
I flooded the bathroom again and like my my mom was sort of passing in the hallway as I was uh, transferring over into my bedroom to to dress myself before the podcast. I appreciate that you got dressed before this. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't normally. At least nipples up is covered, which is great. Y- yeah. I mean, I mean, if I'm not wearing a shirt, though, my, my chest hair does the, does the job. Right, same. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. We both have our uh, birthday sweaters. <laughs> anyway, so um, I flooded the bathroom, like, pretty aggressively this time. And it wasn't conscious. Like, I think sometimes... Because the water pressure in the shower, you can stop me if I'm talking too much. Yeah, I would like to stop you. What are you saying in the shower? <laughs> well, I do my impressions in the shower. Do you actually? I do, yeah. Do you do them like relevant to what you're doing? Well, yeah. Like, do, do an impression right now of Tony Soprano giving a shower to... Myself? You, yeah. This is a strange one. Yeah. Impression of Tony Soprano. Like if Tony Soprano attendant. was your attendant. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Tony, I, I need to think about this. Okay, I'll be you. Okay. <laughs> what is Can this you exercise? Can we just uh, wash a bit more underneath? <laughs> the call's only supposed to last 25 minutes. We've already been here for fucking 20. What do you want from me? Right, you, you literally haven't even, like, gone there, though. Like, I'm not trying to be weird. It's just, you know, I have some plans later and... I'd rather be clean. <laughs> Listen, I understand you got to be clean, okay? I got a fucking uncle on my father's side who was institutionalized in the 70s. So I understand. I get it. He was a wonderful person, a fucking bull or whatever. You got to understand, though, this is a very intimate fucking procedure. And I just fucking started the other day. Listen, I tell you what, okay? I'll get somebody over from the Bing to finish the job if I don't do a, a good enough job, okay? Okay, well. With that on the table, I'm going to say you didn't do a good job either way. <laughs> okay, so I'll have still send uh, over one of my associates. <laughs> it's harder to do the impression when I have headphones on. You're doing it literally the exact same way you've always done it. Am I? You've done the impression so many times that you could be drowning in a pool of mud and you'd still do the same impression. <laughs> No, but it's like when you're nervous, though, it doesn't come out right. And then when you're not, if you can't it come, hear it. But maybe the nervous just makes it better. You got to be able to hear that you're doing a good job. That's all it is. You're doing a good job. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. You're doing a good job. Uh-huh. Okay, but you didn't let me finish my story from earlier. Right, sorry. My, uh, like, my mom was in passing when I finished showering, right? And she she saw the the wet aftermath all over the fucking floor. Uh-huh. And she got really upset with me because she because th- my parents they like they don't get it. I I keep asking them like please like take a moment and shower in the shower chair like swallow your pride and use the shower as I would use it and look at all the water all over the floor when you're done no matter how careful you are. And the, is it a bathtub? Yeah, it's a standard bathtub. And then you put the curtain inside the tub. You I pull the curtain over the shower chair, but the the shower chair lip has to go over the tub. So even when you tuck the the curtain into the shower chair, sometimes water will get out through like the holes in the seat and then it will spray directly onto the Oh, because it's one of those shower chairs that like sticks out over the edge of the tub. Yeah, so the water uh, escapes yeah. through. Th- that literally is impossible to keep dry. Uh, yeah, yeah, because the water escapes through the Swiss cheese holes. Yeah, you can't tuck the shower curtain in 
if the shower chairs prevent me from doing it. Even if Tony fucking threatened to whack me for for uh, getting water all over the bathroom floor, <laughs> I would still soak the bathroom floor. But anyway, so I finished fucking showering, and my mom, like, she was like, "What? Like, what is this? Like, what are you? What, what have you done?" She's like, I, I can't believe this. You clearly didn't even close the curtain. You just let the water fly, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, mom. <laughs> of course I did because I, I just wanted you to. You didn't even close the bathroom. You were showering in the kitchen, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to make your day more interesting, mother. And so anyway, so she's like furiously like mopping uh, whatever I like was not able to soak up m- myself with the towel. And she noticed like black mold under the power chair seat power chair seat uh shower chair seat yeah so she's wow. like i thought she's like i thought it smelled musty in here and so yeah so there was mold on my fucking shower chair should i put that in my dating profile leave that off your dating profile <laughs> but it's okay you just told everyone publicly here so i i did yeah what's well, the I mean, difference if i can't say it here where can i say it <laughs> yeah that's true if you need to say it i guess this is where you do it yeah i've had that I've had that shower chair for 17 years. Damn. Yeah, it was like a year after my uh, orthopedic surgery in middle school. So what do you do for black mold? I don't even know. You just... Well, I don't know if it was black mold, but it was like a very dark spot. It was like clearly mold. I don't know what kind it was. Damn. This, I was like, how are you? And you're like, I'm good. I have black mold on my shower chair. <laughs> no, but I, I just feel good because things are... Because of spring... It, like it feels like we're finally getting to the thaw after yeah. this like outrageous snowfall, like snowstorms that we've been having. Last week, I literally like could not look out my garage window because there was snow halfway up the fucking height of the window. And you're still living in northern Ontario. Yeah, my life is still Fargo or uh, misery or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, are you gonna move? Well, I'm. I, I'm taking steps to do that. You know that. Mm-hmm. All I did was interview. Like all I did was, you want me to talk about this on the podcast? All yeah, I did was e- email like the coordinator of the housing program in Ottawa and like ask her what my place is on the list. Yeah, that's true. It is good that you downplayed it so much because it was absolutely infuriating that it took you two years to do that. It didn't take me two years. You're right. Four since what 2017? Yeah. No, you asked me. You asked me to do it <laughs> 16 months ago. Literally, how many, like, I feel like I had to message you every single day, just being like, have you sent, sent that? I think you forgot to, and I would just get creative with it. I'd be like, I'm pretty sure you forgot to BCC me on that email. Yeah, you're right. You would do that. <laughs> and I appreciate it, like, very much so, because, like, you helped uh, counteract the small voice in my head that told me that, I couldn't live alone or live by myself again. Yeah, but we've talked like sending that email is not signing your moving papers. No, I know it's not. It's just like it is the first step, the scariest one. It's literally, is it the scariest one? Well, I guess the scariest one or the hardest one is actually moving all my shit into a new place. Yeah, sending that email doesn't make it real even. It's just finding out what your options are if you do want to move. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Anyway, I'm glad you did it, and I, you should pat yourself on the back for that one, because it, 
you deserve to move if that's what you want. And so you deserve to have your options in front of you. You know, all I want to do is like go for a stroll in the Glebe. Yeah. Like stop at some like... Like some hipster coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. Just by myself, no one else, just me. Yeah. Have a conversation with yourself and all your impressions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Find the like the the most acoustic alley and talk to myself in Tony Soprano voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scare the French people. That's what I want for you too, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have any updates on my side. Didn't you just start a new? Well, I guess you don't want to talk about that, eh? I just had a new job, but like it, it's I, I'm excited about it. But I'm excited about it for you. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like harder. I was looking at the website. I was excited about that. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool thing. Tis, it is. Did you hear about the Oscars? I did. That's all I've been thinking about for like two or three days. Yeah. You might not have noticed because um, something else seemed to have happened. But Coda won Best Picture. It did. I know that like, nobody's been talking about that, which is really annoying. Yeah. But, it's like everyone forgot about it. Yeah. I'll be honest, even I forgot about it periodically while grappling with other things that occurred. Yeah, well, that's like the only reason I tuned in was to make sure Coda got it. If Coda didn't get it, I would have been so mad. Um, It was funny. My dad uh, randomly asked me today at lunch. He's like, so what's the deal with the title of that film, Joe? Does it have a quota of disabled people? <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, it's Coda, Dad. It's children of deaf adults. He's <laughs> like, oh, how many children did they have? <laughs> That's cool. See, even, even your dad's into it now. Maybe your dad's going to go check out the movie. It was such a good movie. I was so happy. He had like one of the best speeches um, when he won for best supporting actor, I guess. Didn't you go see Sebastian Maniscalco recently? I did. That, like, intimidating Italian... Uh... Didn't we already talk about that, though? No, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's hilarious. Wh- where is that guy from? Is he Canadian? No, he's, well, he's like, Italian-American. I find him, like, oddly intimidating, but also he could cut my hair. So he's, like, like metrosexual intimidating. Isn't your hair just a buzz cut? I feel like I could cut your hair. I know, when I was... I... I feel like Stevie Wonder could cut your hair. Yeah, like a Zumba could ride over my head and cut my hair. A Zumba? You mean a Roomba? A Roomba, yeah. A Zumba is an exercise. Just picture <laughs> some like fit California Valley girl just <laughs> dancing on your skull. <laughs> That's How's <weird>. that? <laughs> oh my God, it looks so much better now. It's fabulous. Anyway, so um, what the hell were we talking about? How you like to get your hair cut by vacuum cleaners? When I was in middle school, like my mom thought I didn't have enough, uh, like a uh, style, and so she would always insist that I go get like frosted tips because that was the style at the time. Your mom insisted that you do that. Usually, it's completely the other way around. Like I was like, I need to get this done to my hair, and my mom's like, No, don't do that. And I'd be like, I'm a man; I can decide. <laughs> my my mother thought that I was too like like illiterate in that way aesthetically in terms of self present presentation. She's not wrong. No, I mean you cut your hair with a robot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with, with with a Zumba lady. With a Zumba. 
<laughs> anyway, so I used to go to this haircut place called La Moda. That does sound very premium. Yeah, like it was full of really intimidating Italian dudes. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, Sebastian Maniscalco reminds me of La Moda. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I really like about him is just how animated he is. Yeah. I've always been a sucker for physical comedy, and he's so good at just, he's so expressive with his body language, and it's really, really funny. One thing is that they've always, you always hear that celebrities are shorter than they appear, and that's definitely the case again. Yeah. It's, it's just funny how that always seems to happen. They say that the TV adds pounds, but I think it adds inches. I mean, uh, you know, celebrities are always framed in the camera to look larger than life. Yeah, well, they also don't often give you, like, a full-body shot. True. I'd probably look a lot bigger in, in this be- camera. You, maybe, I don't know. I I think you look, uh, like... Proportionate. Like, proportionate, yeah. Have I used that word before? <laughs> no, it's just a funny way to describe a person. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with your proportions. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sebastian Maniscalco has unique speech patterns, doesn't he? Yeah, he's very... He knows what he's doing with it. It's uh, He's very good at vocalizing. Like his, his energy fluctuates throughout the joke. And then his punchline is often the delivery way more than the content. Yeah, I would agree with that. He definitely likes to be bothered. And his comedy shines when he's getting annoyed at something. Yeah. I wish I I can hear his voice in my head, but I can't reproduce it. Which is why he's a great comedian, because it's you kind of have to just be like, just go see him. It was great. It, we were like front row, right at the stage. Um, I definitely made eye contact with him a few times. It was wild. <laughs> so as I said, my relationships are going well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maniscalco's still in the picture, eh? I mean, like, I do need a haircut soon, so. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that if you were uh, a stand-up comic, that you would be a jokes-per-square-inch type of comedian or a storyteller? I'm not, I don't know. I don't feel that good at stories, because um, I always cut myself off. Every single person who's given me feedback about the podcast has had some note about how much they love your storytelling. Really? Yeah, so you're full of shit. That's the first I've heard about this. Why? I didn't want to inflate you too much. Well, that's really rude. (laughs) You absolutely should be inflating me. (laughs) Our job is to inflate each other. Right. Every time I get feedback about you, it's just, how well-spoken and eloquent you are. Right. Our goal every episode is to... <laughs> Never mind. Yep. <laughs> no, You're it's right. so dumb. Yeah. No, I can't say it. It's, it's way too stupid. Yeah, no, I don't think that's a thing. I was going to say the word inflatio, <laughs> which is really dumb. <laughs> no, that's well worth it. <laughs> and I'm gonna... That's great. I like it. Yeah, you're... Uh... Thanks, Tony. <laughs> um, any any errant thoughts on your side that you want to explore? I've been. Uh, I can't stop thinking about the fucking slap. I just can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, 
such a stupid thing to preoccupy my brain. I spent all day yesterday just being baffled by it and looking at clips and was it fake? Like, now it's just like, let's stop talking about that and let's focus on the fact that Coda won Best Picture. Yeah. Do you think that the viewership for Coda will increase exponentially after this win? I still maintain that the Oscars, I don't want to diminish Coda's appeal or or its reach but if I don't... this sentence ends in a butt i'll be so mad the oscars don't really matter maybe it's just that like the last time that i really cared about the oscars i was 17 or 18 and the films that won like occupied a lot more real estate in my brain and it really did mean something to me to rent a movie that was like an oscar winning film <laughs> i don't know like I think Coda was the best movie I watched last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not trying to say that Coda did not deserve to win. I I do think it was a very, I thought it was a wonderful story. Like there are several moments throughout the film where I was genuinely moved. Go check out an episode about Coda. Yeah. it, It had like the scene with the Academy Award winning dad where he tries to make his daughter's boyfriend feel awkward like yeah. with like dirty sign language it was incredible yeah. like it was hilarious uh like genuinely fucking funny and it was like sweet and endearing and like perfectly well acted Co- coda was a a great film i just mean yeah. like the institution of the oscars has declined significantly since like winning an Oscar actually. Well, made. yeah, I mean, like the film industry has changed so much. It's like YouTube has more eyes than most cable channels. You know, like a single YouTube video can generate more interest than an entire show. That's but true. It just means that there's a diversification, and you're right because of that. It means every you know the, the best picture award doesn't mean as much, but it still means a lot. If you win an Oscar and you win a streamy, like, you're probably going to put the Oscar on your resume. Yeah. I just like thinking whether or not the Oscars have been really a trendsetter for movies in the last decade or decade and a half, and uh, I'm not sure that it has been. Yeah, I, you're you're probably right. We haven't really seen more films like Moonlight or... Uh, Nomad Land, or well, what about Coda? See, that's what I'm saying, though, is that what what we want from the attention that Coda gets is more uh, disabled films that tell a variety of different stories that break free from the confines of the disabled film genre yeah. and just just be you know great movies. And I hope that the Oscar increases the audience for the film by a uh, geometric factor you know how long netflix has been chasing to get an oscar and then apple tv gets it in like year two or three that's a good point that's a very very good point and you know that the minute netflix gets an oscar like the the whole service was going to be devoted to that one movie yeah yeah and now apple tv sweeps in with an oscar win it's going to be so easy for them to nail down movies if you're choosing between 
Netflix and Apple if you want to sell your script. Apple's got that back pocket ace. Yeah, I mean, so winning the Oscar can only be a good thing. It definitely can't be a bad thing. I agree that it isn't as big as it used to be and probably will only continue to diminish in scale. Like, imagine if if Coda could be heralded with the same weight and significance as, like, The English Patient or, like, I don't know, fucking Schindler's List. But you also have to remember that back, back then there were just less movies on the market. Now we're yeah. inundated with content. So, you know, it's there's YouTube videos have to compete with each other, but then movies have to compete across platforms, and then yeah. movies have to compete in and out of theaters, and then TV shows, all the same things apply. So it's way more competitive than it used to be, just by sheer volume. Yeah, for sure. And also, like, the whole apparatus of celebrity is in peril. It's changing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, you're right. It's changing, not necessarily in peril. But, like, being a celebrity means something different than it did five years ago. Oh, yeah. Because you can be a celebrity overnight now. For sure. You can just blow up on TikTok and you're a celebrity. The number of people that have, like, mansions and Lamborghinis from OnlyFans is insane. It's yeah, it's true. And within forty-eight hours, you can be broadcast on your national public broadcaster because your friend installed an elevator. Yeah, and have six million people view the video of you reacting to that elevator. Right. And how do you think celebrity has affected you? <laughs> it's made me balder. I don't know. Do you think you've become more brash in your shower ritual? Since becoming a celebrity, like, do you think you're like, Mom, I don't care if the floor is wet. I'm a yeah. celebrity now. Check the news. <laughs> yeah, I, I I shower with reckless abandon. Yeah, you like email or text your mom a rider every day for what you want in your snack lounge. <laughs> you're like, Mom, there's no goldfish. <laughs> Can I just say, like, my mom? Shout out, Maureen, if you're listening to this. My mom is hilarious, incredibly supportive in every facet of my life. But if I flood the shower, I am dead to her a million times over. I want to record my mom whenever she watches like her British farce shows on the on the, like the TV in the evening because her laugh is so fucking contagious. But the problem is, is that if I like it's like, honestly, it's a threat to my bladder. Because I'll I'll laugh way too hard at her laughing. Mm-hmm. Like it's really that good. I love a good laugh. Yeah, man. I remember as a kid trying to learn a new way to laugh. Why? Because I laughed. I I would inhale often, as you know, and I still do when I'm really going. Yeah. And I hated that it just sounded like someone squeezing a rubber chicken. Yeah. And... <laughs> so I was like try and i'd hear other people with good laughs so i try to emulate different laughs, laughs. Yeah. Well, the whole point of the laugh is that you are disarmed so it, it's a it's a sound you make but there are like, good laughs and there are bad laughs you know a bad laugh too but it's involuntary though it's supposed to be involuntary yeah it's supposed to be but have you ever heard a laugh where it sounds so fake that you're just like 
this can't be your real laugh. What, like, like a showman's laugh? Yeah, sometimes people are, I'm just like, what is, are you laughing? Is everything okay? Or are you just busting out the sound you make at cocktail parties? Yeah, like, what is happening right now? Well, I mean, because when I'm like, really laughing, you don't hear anything. And I don't like that. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Express. I do the same thing. Like it's 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 spasticity too, though. That's the thing. But yeah. I, I do the same thing. Like I have a big laugh, and then I have a laugh where I'm literally, if I keep laughing, it's gonna, it, it's harmful. Oh, those are the best. Where you're just like <laughs> out of breath, and you're like, you need to stop talking. I'm gonna choke on my food. Like, there's nothing about to protect me from this sudden death I'm about to experience. Oh, I love those moments. Yeah, like, when I really laugh at one of your jokes on the podcast, it actually doesn't even get picked, like, it gets cut out in our, like, post-process jobs. Same. So, so you got to go back to the raw audio to get the laugh because I'm just not breathing. Yeah, that's the exact same for me. So many of our laughs, when you make me laugh, it just is dead air. Because I don't, when I do the edits, I don't usually have the patience to go back to the raw audio. Because it always sounds so contrived when it's nice, processed, clean signal, and then just jumps to this blown out laugh for a second. I actually had a moment like that tonight. I was eating dinner, and the person there was helping me. She's just like, I don't even remember what she said. Was it your girlfriend? No. (laughs) (laughs) But it hit me so hard. She was busy or what? Are you what? (laughs) I just tried to catch you. I don't know. I don't even know what you Oh, she was busy. I thought you were trying to say, make a joke on me using it. It hit me. Didn't land. Sorry. Try again next time. Yeah, I'll keep keep at it. All right. So so you had a laugh? Yeah. That was a story, yeah. Don't make me laugh. At what, asshole? <laughs> I'm trying to drink my coffee and you're trying to flat out fucking joke. Fuck <laughs> you. I want your mom to have to mop up after you twice today. Tony, she'll kill me. <laughs> Don't do She already saw the black mold. She's going to fucking, yeah. She's going to disinfect me. I don't know. <laughs> Don't. This is so fun for me. <laughs> This is our podcast, folks. I'm holding a yellow mug, trying to drink my coffee, and Tony's trying to make me spaz so that it spills everywhere. It's funny because the way you hold it, it's like higher than your mouth, and you have to like tip your lip up over the edge. (laughs) Like Stuart Little. (laughs) Can you please go fuck yourself and let me drink my coffee? I'm dying right now. I want nothing more than for that to spill all over you. Uh, I never wanted to see you suffer more in my life than that. Right anyway, oh, that was fun. Fuck <laughs> you, Tony. So I was gonna try to make a play on uh, Starbucks. Okay, I got nothing. <sighs> well, do you feel like we should pivot to the movie? To the short film? Yeah, there was a film. Yeah, we watched a short film. You want to talk about it? You you want to intro it? Well, in an effort to stay relevant to the Oscars, we decided to cover, we've already covered Koba and Koda. The only other one we hadn't covered, I think, that is disability adjacent, is a movie that was submitted to the 
live-action short films category. It feels like you're avoiding the subject. What subject? Uh, you don't want to talk about this movie? The movie's called The Dress. <laughs> and it's a Polish film about... I, I don't want to bury the lead, but I don't want to jump the gun either. It was the darkest thing we've ever watched. Oh, for sure. For sure. I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I just knew that it had someone with dwarfism in it. Mm -hmm. And that it was about them navigating the world of sex and disability and dating. And that's all I knew. I thought like 10 minutes into this movie, I was wondering if it was like a fucking random Lars von Trier experiment or Michael Haneke or uh, what's his face? Mike Lay. These are like uh, famous art house uh, film auteurs. Famous. Yeah, who are uh, responsible for a lot of quintessentially dark existential cinema. And this movie, like, was sort of, it didn't have a whole lot of creative flair, but it, it definitely thematically felt like a Lars von Trier joint. It felt like uh, Melancholia Disabled Edition. And uh, it was it was a fucking hard watch. Like, I, I, uh, 30 Rock fans out there, you know, there's a ep- series of episodes where Tracy Morgan is in a film festival. And he stars in a movie that's literally called Hard to Watch. Like, this is the disabled version of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was nuts. It was good in that it made you, it, it like was compelling. The acting was good. It drew you into the world that we were, that it created. But it was just, it didn't hold back at all in terms of the, raw emotion and all of that emotion was dark and hard to consume so the movie's about a a young woman probably in her late 20s early 30s who is part of the cleaning staff of a uh, motel in somewhere in poland somewhere in poland yeah somewhere like yeah it was well one of the truckers that kept passing through uh, repeatedly mentioned his route to Kiev. True. I don't know if that puts it anywhere geographically relevant. I don't think but... so. I'm pretty sure in Europe you can be like, I'm in Italy and I'm going to Iceland tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In Thunder Bay, you're like, I'll be going to the other side of Thunder Bay in the next week. I'm going to the supermarket. See you later. <laughs> Yeah, you honestly can't get to any significant municipality here in less than six hours. Yeah, I remember growing up, that was always like for me, we'd be like, we're just going to the neighbors. And people would be like, do you have your phone with you just in case? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so somewhere in Poland. Somewhere in Poland. Uh, And it's like, so the short film is about half an hour, which I think might actually be long for a short film. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> what do you think the cutoff is for short film? Uh, I feel like it's under an hour. Under an hour, yeah. I would say under 70 minutes, in fact. But 30 is long. 30 is long for a short film. I'm confused. You said 30 is long for a short film, but 70 is a short film. So less than half of that is long. 
70 is like the Titanic of short films. It's like two two video cassettes. It's like, what are you? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of an identity crisis as it pertains to length. There were definitely scenes in this movie that seemed like they could have gone further. Oh, but then man. there were other scenes later on where I was like, can you stop? Not because they were bad, but because they were just so horrific to watch. Yeah. I felt guilty turning my head away, but also felt so sick watching it. Yeah, it was definitely like we st- we we started watching this movie on Monday evening. And by the end of this one particular scene, I was like, thank God it's Friday. Yeah. Anyway, so the general plot is is literally just like, it almost feels like the British office. What? Yeah, just let me explain. So we we see our main character with dwarfism, um, largely just performing her job, her the day to day elements of her job. So you see her like cleaning up people's rooms and making beds and and. You were saying it's about the office. I think you're getting to the staplers. No, listen, it's a it's kind of like the movie takes place in the workplace. That's the parallel. Hey, yes. Okay, workplace uh, drama slash comedy is a fucking thing. We we've had we've had hun- we've had do- like a, a dozen big name shows like that by now. Superstore, The I, Office. I agree, but that's why I'm wondering why you chose The Office as the parallel. Because the British Office is interspliced with all kinds of short uh, clips and little vignettes of people just doing mundane things uh, that are like necessary aspects of their shitty jobs okay so one thing like one purpose of this movie is to show a disabled person like caught in a humdrum uh uh service related job you kind of get the sense that she's quite lonely just by the rhythm of her day-to-day like you know there's a short scene of her uh masturbating like first thing in the morning so we establish that she's productive uh, uh, an individual yeah with with a, like a full spectrum of needs <laughs> sexuality included oh. and <laughs> and like you know she <laughs> she has uh, a kind of a kinship with one of her coworkers like a fellow cleaner they they take breaks together and she in a low moment uh she sort of opens up about the absence of men in her life she's never had sex before yeah so she's a virgin you also get the sense that her breaks are her one kind of opportunity at connecting with another person which if you work 40 hours a week and you have a a busy home life it can definitely feel like your breaks are your are your chances few and far between to connect with people i know i cherish my breaks at work i'm not saying my life is as fucking depressing as this movie, but I, I can definitely relate. And it like it is kind of a novelty for a disabled film, much less a short film, to be showing a person with a disability executing an occupation of any kind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is in the service industry, so you kind of assume that like somebody with dwarfism like would struggle significantly to clean a place. So the the fact that she doesn't struggle like challenges your challenges your assumptions your your ableism uh, and it like it 
as I said earlier, it doesn't make a spectacle of this. Like it's almost set in a way where you're you watch and you realize, even though yeah, it might not be her ideal life or where she wants to be, she's kind of figured it out. She has a rhythm and a routine, and like she does seem to have all aspects of her life checked off and figured out, except this kind of glaring thing that is weighing on her more and more. Which is her virginity. And I've lamented before that like disabled people mourning their their inactive sex lives, like while it is an unfortunate uh, and salient truth for all kinds of disabled people, it's still sort of a really tired trope. Because I think it might be the first thing that able-bodied people assume that we struggle with. Yeah. Like, if if at all they consider us sexual beings to begin with. Yeah. So so there's that. And, like, the despite the fact that the movie is well-acted, uh, I don't think it was written by a person with dwarfism, or I would be surprised to learn that, that our lead actress, like, informed the script heavily. Uh, other than, I think, like, in the execution of a of a sex scene that is the climax of the film. Why do you say that? Because you don't think that uh, a dwarf would write this movie? Also, like, I don't know what the right terms here are. I'm sure just like wheelies and cripples and disability, like everyone has a preference. But in the movie, she refers to herself as a dwarf multiple times. Right. Yeah, I don't know either, but we'll we'll just use the lexicon of the film and assume that it's correct. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, I just think that uh, there are aspects of the story of this film that are quite played out, and the the real the real hard truth of it is in the smaller moments, the the the, the workplace elements, and in the the uh, the bad date that is like the central focus. Yeah. So. You're right. And it, like, not to take anything away from your big brain and you're very, very good at dissecting movies, but it was, in my opinion, pretty obvious that it was ill-informed just based yeah. on, oh, what's the word? Like, it's, it was very obvious and very contrived. It's almost, almost like forced down your throat what the movie wanted you to feel. Like, yeah. they, they definitely didn't hold back, which I like. I like that it's raw and real. It felt it also honest. Just felt, it did feel honest, but it also felt a bit over the top. And I don't know, maybe that is, like, an experience. I'm sure it's an, definitely an experience by many people, but and maybe this is my own ableism speaking. It was so hard to watch. It felt like I was being force fed and I wasn't like ready. Yeah. But the the director, writer, whatever, um motherfucker was, was born in nineteen ninety three, for God's sake. Yeah, Just a young like a kid. super young guy. Yeah, like holy crap. I remember movies from ninety three. I don't. Mario Brothers, Aladdin. Mario Brothers was a movie? I didn't see it. Yeah. Ninety three, yeah. Famously bad uh adaptation. Yeah, so it was very heavy. The reason why we think it's quite stereotypical is because there's a moment in the movie where our lead character decides to 
approached one of the regular tenants of the motel. I don't even think she decides. I think she was just eyeing him, and then he noticed her, and he came up to her. Well, no, he he was staring at her uh, at like uh, she's she her favorite thing to do in the evenings is to play a, a slot machine at a local dive bar. Yeah, and she's constantly chain smoking. By the way, these little tiny cigarettes. Yeah, these little. I've never seen cigarettes so thin before. Maybe it's a Polish thing. I don't know. Diet cigarettes. There's all these uh, stereotypical traits of a depressed character in in an art film. Uh, so anyway, she's at the slot machine and, and this guy uh, notices her and he's like staring at her and you can tell that he thinks that she's beautiful, but he's not sure why, or he's trying to negotiate why. And the, there might even okay. be, yeah, there's a bit of curiosity in him, but a little bit of guilt as well and uncertainty. And so he's just looking at her like a like a salivating wolf or something. Like you can tell that it's the film doesn't try to, to position it as though it's uh, a budding romance or something hopeful. Like it's clear that there are, you know, carnal intentions at play that aren't fully above board, like right off the bat, just from the tone of the movie. And yeah. the, the score as well is so like mournful it's it's very again i don't know what the word is but it's the same thing i'm trying to express it's very um there is a word i just can't think of it where it it just feels overwrought overwrought and just shoving it down your throat but what creates the most interesting tension is that our lead actress is actually phenomenal like i I know she's She's speaking a foreign language, but you can tell that she has a like a very naturalistic line delivery and an innately wry sense of humor. I you can just pick up on it, like like a just a evident talent. Yeah, the the lead performance uh, does so much to like ground the movie and keep you invested that all the stuff around it that doesn't really work is immediately forgiven. And also kind of elevates it too, uh, because it's fun to watch a disabled person like like in the thick of a of a dark melodrama. That's what I liked about this movie is that even though we were watching a disabled person and her struggles entirely revolved around her own disability, or at least in theory, yeah, it never felt like it was objectifying the disability for the sake of the movie. I mean, eventually it did, but um, it felt like it was a raw, real, fairly authentic representation of disability. Yeah, and I think it was purely the performance, and then also the 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 bad date occurring in real time. Yeah, uh, there's something there's something about the short film devoting the bulk of its runtime uh, to the scene the scene that is the hardest to watch. Yeah, uh, and I don't want to give like. Obviously, I don't want to take away from the other two actors because I think that they were also good. But yeah. she was above and beyond. She being our disabled lead, whose yeah. name I don't remember either in the the film or the the actress's name. Julia in the film. Julia. Okay. Um. So, but there's a scene. What kind of uh undermines the movie is one scene where uh Julia. 
uh, before she's able to get a date with this recurring customer at the motel, she breaks down in front of her coworker, basically just like in the throes of disabled grief. She's not able to to cope with uh, being a dwarf, uh, and she just says that she wishes that she was normal. Well, there's a little more to it than that. She's actually breaking down because in anticipation of this date that the guy has asked her on, she wants to find a dress to wear. And she realizes that it's really hard to find a dress that fits her well, but also looks, you know, sexy, which I imagine might actually be a problem when you're that small. A lot of the clothes are designed for kids or youth i'm guessing so they're not meant to look sexy i have trouble finding clothes that fit me and look proportionately right like same and like a lot of times the way clothes hang off my body it looks like i'm a incomplete or like factory incorrect mannequin yeah you got chipped off no that is how it feels sometimes Yeah, like I got warped in the summer heat at the back of some like cargo van. And by the time I got to Sears, I didn't resemble a human. There's a guy shipping the Thunder Bay. (laughs) Yeah, it's cold there. It'll uh, harden. Well, I don't think clothes are meant for people to be just sitting constantly. And then our bodies aren't shaped like they're supposed to be. Supposed to, yeah. We should really get rid of these shoulds. Yeah, based on what the mannequins are supposed to look like. But I think that's also a problem for so many people. Just anyone who strays from the ridiculous thin slice of normal. Yeah, which doesn't really mean anything. So I was just going to say that I didn't like this scene where she breaks down because she can't find a dress. And you felt disconnected? Well, I did because I felt like, okay... Like, as a disabled person, she wasn't looking for, like, a ballroom dress for a semi-formal event. She was literally just going to a dive bar and wanted to look more presentable than she usually does in in her post-work outfit. And the movie implied that she only has one dress and that she brought it to a tailor. And the tailor's like, I can't make you another dress by Thursday, but I can, why don't you just wear the one I already made you? And she's like, I want a different one. I felt really like like she was going to like this was a superhero movie and she was going to Alfred to be like like Alfred I need a different like Batgirl suit. Yeah. I mean it seems like it seems like and I could be completely wrong but she's like a a 30 some year old person with dwarfism. She should have worn dresses. She's yeah like this yeah. is a problem that she should have solved and I don't mean she should as in like a, a good disabled person solves these problems i just mean that the day-to-day of her life would necessitate that, that these problems be yeah, she's not wearing her cleaning uniform when she's out with her friends yeah she doesn't have like a sundress to wear and i guess the film is saying oh you know she doesn't have a life outside of her work and that's why we only show her at a slot machine when she's not like folding bed sheets like that's first of all, incredibly short-sighted. And I feel like it plays into this idea that disabled people, quote-unquote, don't get out and don't have lives. I mean, if that's the case, then her lack of dating experience is kind of her own undoing because if she's constantly just 
going to a slot machine and not attempting to live outside of that. It's going to be hard to meet people. Yeah. The other thing is, too, is that it could have been fun to to watch her like shop for dresses or to like go to a thrift store and maybe like find some clothes that she liked but didn't fit or something. Like there could have been some. Well, there was a little bit of that that she did go to a thrift store because she had that whole meltdown. And that's what her friend said. Her coworker was like, just go to a thrift store. You can get a dress. It's not, you'll be fine. And then she does go to a thrift store and looks at a couple, but it seemed like they were all either the wrong size or, again, I guess they just didn't feel mature enough for what she was going for. Right. So my point, though, is more that this could have been a moment of levity or hope. Yeah. Like they shop together, maybe. Yeah. And, then and she's like, try this on. And they try it on. It looks ridiculous, but they laugh about it. Yeah. Or or it looks ridiculous at first, and then they do a little bit of problem solving uh, to shorten it or remove some fabric or whatever it is they might do. And then she ends up with a dress. And you're, and then when uh, as soon as she has the dress, like it's a turning point. You're kind of hopeful. And yeah. You know, it's just an opportunity to add some more variety of emotions to this movie. I had an example. Of the last time you went dress shopping? Yeah. No, well, actually, the the example was going to be you. Like, you told that whole story (laughs) about how you went to... to, Like, I don't know, Le Chateau or one of those... Oh, to put a jacket on? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I mean, obviously there are... I mean, maybe there's elements of that story that are embarrassing or that were inconvenient or something, but it was ultimately, like, a a very entertaining story. Those are my favorite parts, though. Yeah, and I mean, like, even the cringe aspects of it, as, as I was relating to The Office earlier, like, it would fit perfectly well with the tone of this film yeah so there there were a couple creative opportunities there that were completely missed as far as i'm concerned the other thing is is that it's very rare for for a for a disability grief related breakdown to be so transparently about wanting to be normal the the wording that she used did feel very emotionally stunted maybe that is a byproduct of her inexperience. You know, I sometimes I do think that some disabilities or the experiences that come with them can stunt your emotional growth or maybe your sexual development or something. Yeah. And also in the case that you're like you've just acquired a disability recently, like I I'm sure you would that a person in that situation would speak in such general terms. Right. But it seemed like this was something that she had to have thought about and dealt with her whole life. Maybe she was just at her breaking point. You know, when you're at your breaking point, it's easy to just kind of throw your hands up in the air and be like, this is awful. Why me? Why like this? And rational negotiations with yourself kind of fly out the window. So I kind of still empathized with her. But I do think that I agree with you to this part. I, I was a little disconnected. I was, yeah. And then she goes on her date. Well, yes, she does find a dress. And, and it looks... They have to alter it. Do they? But, yeah, they, they had to, like, 
take some buttons out of it to give us some cleavage. I miss that part. Yeah, they altered it, but it ended up looking very good. She looked great. She put on a necklace, did her makeup, and looked like a million bucks and was ready for a date. She she did. She looked like a total knockout. And then she goes to this like shithole bar that looks like it was carved out of the side of a fucking outhouse. Um, she's like seated, seated, seated at the bar with her suitor. Suitor. Sorry. And their chaperone is there, waiting <laughs> outside with the horse and carriage. Yeah, her... <laughs> what language would you use? <laughs> the dude was there. The dude was there, checking around. And he had a thick mustache. <laughs> and she was looking whether she was going to ride it or not. <laughs> anyway, so... they yeah, the they, was there. <laughs> they sit at the bar together, and they have a beer, and like... Somewhat stilted of a conversation, but they're clearly there's clearly some interest there. Again, it's very superficial. Though. I think they both realize there's a potential for sex. Yeah, and they're kind of just getting through, waiting through the small talk to get there. Yeah, I don't think they either of them thought there was going to be a long-lasting emotional connection. I think they just saw there was enough of a spark. That they were going to bone at the end of the night. Yeah, this was purely a booty call situation. Yeah. Uh, with a few more formalities. So eventually they do go back to the suitor's truck. And they start, like, getting intimate. And it's, it the way it's shot, like, it all occurs in real time. Yeah. Um, which is, again, notable for a short film because time is a precious resource. Uh, and so for the first half of the intercourse, uh, you can tell that uh, Yulia is enjoying herself. And I think even the film score is optimistic for the first time. Well, up until this point, the guy has been rather charming. Um, you know, he's disarming her. He can tell she has her guard up and he's saying all the right things to let her be at ease. And even up until right after they start making out, you're rooting for it to work. You are, yeah. You want her you want her to have this connection. You can tell for the first time in the movie, like she's smiling. Yeah. Uh her there's like a note of of joy in her voice, even like she's not deadpan or hopeless. Like things are And there's like that long pregnant as you would say. Pregnant pause. Yeah, I like that phrase. You can, like, that moment right before they're going to kiss, which is always a great moment. I love that moment where your, like, hands get sweaty and you're just like, is this about to happen? Yeah. Hey, did that happen to you recently? And I just like when they, <laughs> they sort of hold on to that. Yeah. And, you know, the tension's building. You want it to go. But then what happens? So then... uh so they start having sex, and as I said, it seems to be going well, and it's quite, it's quite unflinching. Uh, it's one of yeah. those sex scenes that is not afraid to become porn, if you know what I mean. Like it's, yeah. it's like almost unsimulated. Yeah, this is not your fucking soap opera sex scene. It, it's it's as raw and like and uncomfortable potentially even as. Uh, the the masturbation scene at the start of the film very voyeuristic you feel like you you should be leaving these characters alone because they are doing their thing yeah it's like it's like you you almost feel like you're catching them in the act 
like the video is going to be used for blackmail later. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like this should not be recorded or something. But then, um, then things start to take a turn. You you get the sense that uh, her suitor has been holding back, and he starts to set the rhythm on his own, and then he just takes what he wants. It's brutal, and it's uh, he 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 doesn't listen to her when she asks him to slow down, and it becomes essentially a rape, and it's like like Lar- like Lars von Trier levels of existential dread and awfulness uh you definitely like your inclination is to fast forward because again you're not now the thing that you've caught these characters doing they are no longer enjoying and so her date finishes and the first thing out of his mouth after all that awfulness is uh oh i'm going to feel guilty after this yeah something like i've disgusted myself a little bit yeah like he's like he's just gonna like she's a condom that he's gonna take off himself and throw in the garbage. It's almost like he knew that this was gonna come out of him, but he was just like, "I'm not stopping it." Yeah, like I've reached the point of no return, and I don't owe you any chivalry. Yeah, and you're obviously describing it as nicely and diplomatically as you can, but it is really intense. It's, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know what kind of headspace you'd have to be in to really be able to put yourself through this and be okay with that. Um, but it is a lot to handle. Yeah. Um, even if you're prepared for it, I think it's a lot to handle. Obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen. And you're not supposed to know what's going to happen. But uh, I think even if I was prepared for it, we almost watched it again before recording. And neither one of us could actually pull ourselves up to the idea of going through that again. Yeah, we just reassured each other that we remembered the key talking points. We're like, "Uh uh-huh. And so, yeah, I mean, but for all of that discomfort, it is very impactful. Like the movie or the short film achieves what it was, what it meant to achieve. It sort of recontextualizes the rougher edges of the movie. And you kind of forgive it because it goes a place no other disabled film that I've ever seen uh, is willing to go. And so I think it should be applauded for that, as uncomfortable as it was. Because so many of these movies that try to show disabled people as sexual beings, they also don't really convey the reality that quite a few disabled people, especially women, are victims of sexual assault. And so... I honestly don't really remember... Oh, right. I do remember how it ends. Basically, uh, they finish and she walks home. Uh, her dress is ruined because throughout the mayhem, he's he's torn half of it off of her. Oh, yeah. That was a very significant moment because obviously all of the pain and heartache she went through just to get that dress that fit and looked yeah. good on her. And then she just callously rips it. Not out of passion. Like this is in the way of what I want from you. And you feel that. Like it's a genuine thing that is conveyed in the frame. And by the way, it's a single shot, I believe. I don't think there are any cuts the entire scene. It at least feels that way, yeah. Yeah, there's only one camera angle and it's fully in the frame the entire time. So it doesn't even like give you any respite with editing or anything like that. It's... It's the most 
gruesome like rape scene that I've ever seen in a film, to be honest with you. Honestly, like even just talking about it again is bringing back feelings I had while watching it. And it's, I mean, like, I guess if you really want to feel like those raw human emotions, it is good at doing that. Well, right. I mean, I think like an able-bodied viewer i can't even really like imagine the context for an average person to even encounter this film because like it took us a significant effort just to find it yeah we had to seek it out we paid for it we we did yeah but it was even hard to do that like it wasn't like we couldn't find it on the bowels of the illegal sites it was like a dark web if you wanted to get it legally it was hard to find yeah I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that this film exists, but I don't re- recommend it to many people. Yeah. So, wait, did you go through how it ended? Well, it ends with uh, Yulia back on the job, and she uh, is basically about to clean another patron's room, yeah. and she opens the door with her master key set, and there's a beautiful naked woman lying in bed asleep, and she just sort of lingers in the doorway of the motel room of the beautiful woman. It's a little unclear what the purpose of this scene was. I think it was basically to, you know, in the face of everything that just happened to her, how she already felt unlovable and like someone that would never experience having sex with like love behind it. All these things she was struggling with. And then opening this door and being confronted with, you know, what society has told us is a beautiful woman in contrast to how she must now feel. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think that was the point of this scene. Uh, you also wondered if maybe it was to try to say that that was his room and she, the, the woman in the bed is to remind her that uh, Julia was just this notch on the bedpost and super meaningless but uh, i'm not it's not really clear it isn't clear but it's uh, it's very clear that she feels worse after seeing it i find it hard to believe that as a sexual assault victim she would like casually saunter into the bedroom of her attacker yeah i think so too i think it was just a random room she didn't even know she was walking into someone sees this woman on the bed and goes what is my life in comparison? I, I'm not sure, again, that I really like what the movie does here because it kind of implies, it implies that disabled people fetishize like normalcy. But I think that the movie in this moment is more of a sexual assault survivor lens as opposed to a disability lens. Right. And in that case... I mean, it's both inevitably. I guess, yeah, you're right. It's both. Um, but that does add a layer of nuance. I don't think it's just, she's like, oh, it must be nice to be able-bodied. I think there's a lot more layers to it than that. Perhaps. It's a very raw movie. And we've talked in the past about how a movie that makes you feel things isn't necessarily a good movie. You know, it, it definitely gets you to feel things. I don't think many human beings could watch this movie casually and feel nothing. But I struggle to know if I'd watch it again, even if it wasn't 
because I was afraid of feeling those negative emotions again. It's a well-acted movie. She's great in it, but I'd rather see her in like a much different role. And again, that might just be selfish because I don't want to go through those emotions again. So I agree and disagree because I think there are many elements of this movie that are short-sighted and not really written from the advantage of a disabled person. Yeah. But I do think that the that the sexual assault on screen is particularly effective. It is effective. I don't think that it is emotionally manipulative because it, it felt as though it was actually happening. And so it it didn't feel like an exaggeration of the trauma of that kind of experience. It sort of felt like it might even be coming from the advantage of a person who has experienced it. I don't know, but it felt like the most authentic part of the film, unfortunately. Like, this is what it was building toward, and consequently, that's why it was successful. So in that way, I don't feel like the negative feelings that the movie elicits are unearned or, like, incorrect, invalid. Yeah, I don't think that they're incorrect or invalid or unearned. It might honestly just be I'm selfishly sparing myself from having to go through that again. Because it did make me feel things, very real feelings that affected me deeply. And I can't say that happens very often for movies. Right. Usually if it does, it's for happy moments. Yeah, this wasn't a pleasant roller coaster whatsoever. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the feeling I left with was like, I never want to watch that again. I guess processing it in real time, it's probably mostly, if not all, just because I don't want to feel those things again. Yeah, usually when you watch movies like this that are like break the mold, that exist outside of conventional genre, like experiments in the medium, when when they do challenge you or become hard to watch, there's this kind of suggestion that the intellectual consumption of the art is in some way nutritious to you. And I don't really get that from this movie. Maybe because I'm older now and I don't really fall for like that particular pretense about the importance of art house cinema. Or or maybe it's because like where this movie falters sort of undermines it as like an effective piece of art house. Uh, So I don't know. I don't recommend this to other disabled people, actually. Who do you recommend it to? I don't know. Like, I kind of just want to keep it to myself, to be honest with you. Yeah. Other than parsing it on the podcast, like, I don't really see any other benefit to it. I want I want the lead actress in this movie to get a lead role in a comedy. Yeah, exactly. When a movie elicits emotion, I like emotional responses. I like feeling things but not these things. And it feels very selfish because it's obviously nothing compared to what somebody feels when they go through that themselves. And they can't just be like, well, I'm never going to watch that movie again. I'll be okay. You know, but you're right. I don't know who I would recommend this movie to. I guess if you are really prepared after hearing us talk about it and you really want to see it for yourself, you know, go ahead. It's your choice. Well, I guess just with that warning that it's not by any means easy to watch or enjoyable. 
It is a good movie, though, I guess. It's tough to say. Good is subjective. There are aspects of it that are well made, but does that justify the experience of watching it? I don't I don't know. I'm never gonna fucking forget this movie. No. But will you ever revisit it? No. It wasn't it wasn't tastelessly bad. It wasn't Gregory Go Boom. No. If it was tastelessly bad, I would be like, don't watch it, it's a waste of your time. But the reason I don't want I don't think you should watch it is just like spare yourself the hurt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But again, that's a very selfish mindset and maybe you should go through this to try to be able to empathize with assault survivors. I don't know. I think it does sort of uh illuminate the uh the function of dark comedy because this is a this film could potentially be a subplot in a movie like I Care a Lot, where instead of instead of you having like a motel cleaner with a disability, you have a resident of one of the care homes who is victimized by a caretaker or an associate of Rosamund Pike or something. And I don't know necessarily how it would be weaved into the movie, but there would be a revenge component that would both allow you to be reminded of the trauma that the disabled person goes through, but then also provide you with a catharsis, albeit fictional and maybe not realistic in the real world, but a, a an emotional catharsis that is the reason we go to the movies, where they get revenge upon their abuser in some way that is narratively satisfying. Like that's the purpose of fucking cinema. So when you don't, when you are unflinching and you don't use the medium to find some kind of relief or to, or to really have like more of a, of a message or some kind of insight upon this stuff, other than it being like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be impossibly morose and incredibly challenging to see a disabled person be violently raped? Like, holy fuck. Are you kidding? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still just kind of like, I don't know, I'm glad I didn't watch it again, because even just talking about it is rifling through my emotions again. Um, uh, Should we uh, transition away? Where do you want to go? Can we even do a real wheel breakers right now, or are we far too low? I'm feeling really low, but do you have one ready? I'd, uh, I, I... We can try, I... let's try. Wheel breakers. Okay, Tony. So you get to be a hundred percent able-bodied, uh -huh. but you have to tell me whether you're dating someone at the moment. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't really have one. Uh, you sound like my attendants. Do I? They're all. They're also getting nosy. Eh? They're on the scent. They've been, there's been so many. So I hear you have a girlfriend. Oh yeah. You feel like you're in fucking high school, eh? It's outrageous. Yeah. So, all I'd have to do is tell you whether or not I'm dating someone, and then I'm able-bodied for the rest of my life. Yeah, but it feels like it a doesn't gargant. matter what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> like if I were to be like no, and then you're like okay, fair enough, and then that's it. I'm off the hook. No, the answer has to be yes, and you have to go find a, like an amazing. The answer girl. has to be yes. Yeah, but it has to be. That changes to... things immensely. But it, it has to be yes. Because if I'm but... not dating someone, 
Will you make me able-bodied and then give me like a grace period to find someone? Or I have to find someone as me, then become able-bodied. No, like it's like a Cinderella, it's like a problematic Cinderella story. Oh, I like this. Okay. (laughs) So, because I'm not dating someone, but wait, is it, but is it like as soon as we break up, I go back to being disabled? No. If you break it, then you're dealing with heartache and disability at the same time. Oh my God. I would never do that to you. (laughs) But the question becomes, how long do I have to date someone for you to be like, okay, you can now be able-bodied for the rest of your life? No, you have to fall in love. Whoa, you're changing the stakes. No, I'm not. You, you got to fall for her in a month. You keep changing that. I have to fall in love for a month? No, like within the month. Then you get to keep your able-bodied. I have four weeks to fall in love? This is so problematic. I'm trying to figure out how we can rescue this. Yeah, this is really bad. What is that one stupid... Uh, 90 day fiance. Oh, keys to the VIP. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I could just go on that Love is Blind show. I don't know how long they get to fall in love. It might be a month. They have to be married at the end of the month. Ugh. I don't know. This sounds so gross to me. Oh, okay. Okay, but you, so you get to be 100% able-bodied. Here's what it is, okay? Yeah, that part's clear. Yeah, you, you get to be 100% able-bodied, but before... But before I wave my magic wand and say uh, uh, some Harry Potter line, yeah, um, you're made a contestant on a dating show, like until you fall in love as a disabled man. As a disabled man. Yeah. So I can't find love with a devotee because then they would fall out of love with me as <laughs> soon as I became able-bodied. Oh, that's interesting. That probably wouldn't happen. Which part? Falling in love with a devotee. I think the emotional connection is what is whatever. N- never mind. Let's. I guess it depends on the the devotee. The risk is that you'd be stuck on a dating show in perpetuity. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never be able to swing it. Well, I mean, like I I know you would because you're Tony, but my risk would be like, oh fuck, I'm on like season twelve of this shitty show. No, you'd be able to swing it just as well. We have very parallel dating experiences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for the vote of confidence. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, it, wait, you've changed it completely. I am able bodied only if I can fall in love on a dating show. But there's no time limit. It's just once I fall in love, I yeah. start walking. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like, a... I think you should also add. That I can't tell them this. Because that would be interesting. Like, if they fall in love with me, and then as soon as we're in love, I start walking around. And he's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's it's Groundhog Wheelie Bachelor. Yeah, so every morning I wake up, and I'm like, today's the day. Uh-huh. I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to walk out of here. I start telling everyone, like, oh, you don't even, I, I won't be here tonight. I'm, I'm not going to need my dinner call. I'll be feeding myself. I mean, it's, it's so hard to be funny after talking about that goddamn movie. Yeah, I'm really just, I'm honestly trying to force it here. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I can do this. If if I fall in love, is there a time limit? Like, how long we have to be in love for? Because my fear is that they're going to get really weirded out by the fact that I fell in love as a disabled man and then fully became able-bodied 
And then they're like, I don't know who, who you are. I can't trust you. This isn't going to work out. You really think that would happen? I don't know. Like, if they love you, then they would be happy for you. You're assuming that I'm going to find a very emotional connection with someone on a shower dating show. Well, no, you tend to attract uh, multifaceted, interesting women who uh, are very mature and fun to be around. Well, whether or not that's true, I don't have control over the women that are going to be on this hypothetical dating show. Yeah, but you'll be on it long enough such that a woman you have commonalities well, with... Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid being on it long at all. I don't want to be on year 12 being like, we finally got it. I think this is the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and while you're on the show, your finances are strain strained because... I think I'd give up after a year. Really? Maybe it's three years. Good Lord, are you kidding me? I haven't had a date in at least two years. Yeah, but a dating show is a different thing. I guess it would be emotionally exhausting. Yeah. What would your dating show be called? What is my dating show now? <laughs> yeah, what would it be called? It's just me and a bunch of random women. Yeah. Oh, that actually changes things. If I'm the only option, I could probably have better odds, right? Because all the women there want to date someone, and I'm the only choice. You thought you'd be competing? Yeah, I thought I'd be competing with, like, dude that bench curls his mom and then <laughs> someone else who like fosters kittens who he was rescued from burning buildings and then i'm just here like i have a podcast about how my antennas don't always wet my butt nice there are more things on your resume than your butthole podcast you've brought it up a few times today though <laughs> but it's, it's just my favorite recurring uh, <laughs> part of your body <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add that to my Tinder bar. My butthole is my friend's favorite recurring part of my body. <laughs> to talk about. Well, see, I, I've always wondered, like, how contrived those dating shows go. Because sometimes, like, the people that end up together, you're like, you have no chemistry. And then the people that don't end up together, you're like, these you two would be perfect for each other. You didn't answer my question. What would your bachelor show be called? Madams and McAuliffe's? <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. And I'm the suitor? Yeah, you're the suitor, yeah. <laughs> if it was my show, it would be called The Suitor and the Scooter. <laughs> <laughs> See, for that name alone, I would be signing up. The Suitor and the Scooter. It was so good. <laughs> See, I told oh, you scooters were okay. Yeah. Okay, no, it's not advice. okay. That's why it's funny. <laughs> Imagine that was my uh, my wheel breakers. You get really? to be hundred percent able bodied, but the only vehicle you can ever drive is a fucking scooter. I feel like you already said yes to that. I did for years and years. Did you just burp? Or was that your stomach? No, it was a laugh burp. Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. Do you feel sufficiently like I've answered your your very inconsistent wheel breaker? Yeah, it was like the most convoluted one ever. It's very meandering, but I was there for it. <laughs> All right, Jamie, I was inspired by your very recent laugh burp that you did. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if you would take this deal. So I'm going to make you fully able-bodied. But every time you make an involuntary 
bodily function noise, like a burp or a fart or a sneeze or a hiccup or a yawn. Can I just say most farts are voluntary? Okay, I'm going to throw in voluntary farts and voluntary burps. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Can I just say I purposely fart a lot? (laughs) 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 So every time you do one of those listed above, see before. Okay. You just look around and go, you hear that? (laughs) You just announce it? Yeah, you just announce it, and then you ask for people's approval. Like, you ask (laughs) them to rate it. You're like, hey, how was that? Scale from 1 to 10, how was that fart? Wherever you are, (laughs) any context, and it's a fart, a burp, a yawn, a sneeze, a hiccup. I think that covers it. What if I did that in response to people requesting feedback from me in a professional setting? <laughs> They're like, Jamie, so what are your thoughts on this designed document? And I just <laughs> farted and said, how about that? <laughs> you definitely could, especially because, as you noted, some of your farts are voluntary. Well, okay, so as I said, a lot of involuntary noises, like you can choose when to when to vacate yourself. Vacate your <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You're I... <laughs> Who refers to farts as vacating themselves? <laughs> <laughs> vacating yourself of what? Smelly gas? Yes. All right. Every time you are on vacation. No, <laughs> I mean, social, social conditioning has allowed us to control these sorts of things to a degree. Apart from sneezes, I guess, and the occasional burp, I would have to quit drinking club soda, which would be a problem. Okay, also, yeah, burps, but also, like, those little bubbles that you get in your belly. You know when you get, like, bubble gut and your stomach rumbles a bit? Yeah, that's a That's a sound, too. I, I thought we were having such a constructive conversation earlier. We were. <laughs> So, yeah, I think I could do this. No problem. No problem. No problem. Easy there. <laughs> I just I, burp. How about that? I don't think you need that many interactions before you're shunned from like, social settings. Like 75% of my burps I always do in front of you, and I I ask for approval anyway. But, like, you've never, like, stifled a burp at work during a meeting or something? I don't know. See, that's the thing is that I'm pretty close with my coworkers, and everyone but my boss basically understands what I'm about. Okay, but you might not always be working with that same group of people. But what if you're on a date and you just got that little bubble in your tummy? Like, I, I take pride in dating people who are comfortable farting around me. Yeah, it's one thing to be comfortable, but it's not really weird to be like, write that one every time. Yeah, it's true. It would be a date killer. It's, it's like, it's funny to be like, oops, farted, haha. <laughs> but like, it's another thing to be like, no, seriously, how was it? I think, I think we're, I think like. You're okay with this. I, I think like being open with your like gas is, is fine now in front of your partners. Yeah, I don't think it's that you should be ashamed of it. I just think it's going to be very weird to be like. It, I mean, you just make it part of your love language. I fart, she farts, we all fart. Everything's fine. Okay. All right. 
I think you could do it. I definitely think you could turn it into a funny thing. Sure. What if I guarantee that you're going to fart once every 45 minutes? Or not necessarily fart, but one. you're going to do one of those random bodily noises. I don't know. I drink club soda and I eat a lot of chili, so this is not even unrealistic. So if you're in an hour-long meeting with your boss... And I farted a bunch of times? At least once. I'm able-bodied when this happens, so he's not going to blame it on my wheelchair, right? No. Nope. He'll just blame it on me being an asshole. Or being a weirdo, yeah. I, I love that. I'd way prefer, I much prefer being accused of being a weirdo than to like than being forgiven because I'm a wheelie. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. Yeah, dude. It would be nice to just get called out for something. Yeah, just, just are you an asshole, able-bodied man? And be like, fuck yeah, that's yeah. what I am. <laughs> Yeah, but you didn't tell me, was it good or not? (laughs) You didn't answer my question, uh, senior product developer. Yeah, 7.5 or higher. Let's go, CTO. (laughs) That's about all the gas in my tank, I'm being honest. Yeah, in fact, I'm I'm actually surprised that that there was that much gas in your tank. Well, how would you rate my gas? Okay, wheel break. This is over, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And so is the episode. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, everyone.